Yo, what up, Kingfish? My goodness, Aqua Lads and Lasses. Can you feel the heat? Oof. It is certainly getting rather warm in this area that I'm in. I should probably remove my excess garments, but I'm not going to, lest someone call the police and say there's a naked man podcasting in the house across the street. Folks, I am Johnny C, and I would like to welcome one and all to Kingfish, a Shane McMahon audio journey. Now, you might be asking yourself, uh, well, you might be asking yourself a couple of questions. Number one, what the hell is a kingfish? And what? number two, what the hell is a Shane McMahon audio journey? Well, allow me to uh, yield to my friends over at the Oxford Language Dictionary that define kingfish as a person regarded as an authority figure, an influential leader, or boss. Well, that certainly describes all of the folks out there in listener land who have subscribed and listened to us today. I, you know what? I, I can't even polish it up. Folks, this is Kingfish. It is a show that will be guiding us through the life and times of Sunday Night Heat live on the USA Network. In all seriousness, though, this came about across my skull a couple of weeks ago uh, when I was recording a show and I made a joke, okay? Well, I didn't make a joke per se. Uh, I talked about how Hulk Hogan Terry Bollea tried to make a joke and he called Ernest the Cat Miller Catmandu. And I I had to, I'm, I'm under control tonight, but when I said this on the show that I was recording... I was laughing so hard I had to pause and step away and come back. Now, you might be saying to yourself, it's not that funny. And I'm in the same boat as you, but there was something about remembering Hogan's inflection when he said it. It just really popped me. And it got me thinking about some of the ridiculous things that people in professional wrestling have said over the years that stand out in my memory. And one of them is Shane McMahon calling Jerry Lawler Kingfish. I just always thought it was the dumbest thing, but it's also like so fun to say, what up, Kingfish? <laughs> like, at least to me it is. Like if you're a person who likes to do impressions or stupid voices or shit like that. And I thought to myself, God, where where do I even get that from? Like when when do I have a memory of Shane McMahon interacting with Jerry the King Lawler? And I, I put put my head, my brain that is, in the Wayback Machine, and I was like, wait a minute. Didn't Shane McMahon say that on, like, Sunday Night Heat? And then I started remembering, oh my god, Shane McMahon was the original, like, broadcast lead on Sunday Night Heat. Well, folks, I had a cold, lonely night in the Aqua Cave a few days back, and things got heated. (laughs) Get used to the temperature puns. Things got heated rather quickly, because I turned on episode one of Sunday Night Heat, and my lord... It is a spectacle of sports entertainment shenanigans that I felt it necessary to put pen to paper and see if I could come up with a jaunty little listen that would recap these episodes of Sunday Night Heat. Kind of a lost chapter in the overall picture of the WWE's uh, jaunted, uh, what is it, vaunted, vaulted, the fucking attitude era that we put up on a pedestal. That's what I'm trying to say. And I remember Sunday Night Heat being an absolutely amazing, fantastic lead-in for pay-per-views starting in August of 98. And I also remember that in its era of being live, it really was the B-show. Like, it unprecedented B-show. You can't argue against it. Or, wait, not unprecedented. Undisputed. Undisputed B-show. Their plot developments... Uh, major mid-card superstars, uh, high-tier superstars. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff even on this first episode. So as I was watching Sunday Night Heat, you know, just for fun, I, I really did think to myself, I I want to live in this Shane McMahon commentary world. And, and that's why I lovingly but also sort of jokingly call it 
uh, a Shane McMahon audio journey. But here's here's what I'm I'm putting a hard line in the sand. Okay, if y'all enjoy the show, I will keep doing it. Uh, well, even if I'm the only one that enjoys it, I'll probably keep doing it. Let's be honest. But I'm drawing a hard line in the sand that as soon as Shane McMahon comes off commentary, like permanently, I'm done. I'm not reviewing any more Sunday Night Heat. It's not that Sunday Night Heat's bad. I'm not like uh, declaring it's awful ahead of time or before I even watch it or anything like that. But I'm here for the Shane Nanigans. That's right. Registered trademark, Johnny C. Incorporated. Can't use it without my explicit written permission. Um, but I'm here for the fun of it all. So I want to tell you right now, this is going to be a tongue-in-cheek, not overly sticky, but just a fun walk through memory lane using Sunday Night Heat as a guidepost because, folks, there is some 1998 shit all over this show, and it really is... Like, I, if it makes you... if, if Maybe this will sum it up before we get started with the actual Sunday Night Heat broadcast. Watching this show, I felt better about today's world. Can you imagine? But it's true. It's true. And I'm going to get you there. All right? So let's talk about... We, we all know what world we live in right now. Let's talk about the world that we're going to travel back to. It's August 2nd. It's 1998. It's the home of WrestleMania 12. Hosting a Sunday night B show that's only 45 minutes and just, I mean, completely to the rafters and a ridiculously rambunctious un-California crowd. I mean, what more can you ask for? You host a couple of WrestleManias, you host the inaugural Sunday night heat. Who in Anaheim is greasing the palms over at the, uh, I was going to say over at the Fed, but I guess I'd have to say over at the E these days. But I kid and I jest. But it was kind of cool that it was in the Arrowhead Pond. Um, but there's more to this particular adventure, this audio journey that we're on. I want to talk about our world. Not just the WWF universe, if you pardon the expression. When you walk back to this time period in 1998, you may or may not have any memories of it. You might have been in the womb you might have been a sperm or an unfertilized egg. Maybe you were 14. Maybe you were 30. I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying we're all coming at this from different perspective. So here's some cultural touchstones that will put you back in that mindset. The number one song in the United States at this time was a fucking tag team powerhouse. Even if you were broke, my love don't cost a thing. Wait a minute. That's not what it is. Who the fuck sings that song? Even if you were broke. It's The Boy Is Mine. And you know what? I, I The technology at my disposal doesn't allow me to do second takes very easily. So it is indeed The Boy Is Mine with Brandy and Monica. Is that The Boy Is Mine? If you want to be broke. Even if you were broke, my love. Why? Why? What's what's going on here, folks? What's going on in my head? Why do I keep mixing these two songs together? The number one movie in the world in like its third week of box office dominance, was Saving Private Ryan. A uh, movie I won't make any jokes about. I saw it in the theater. I wonder if you all did too. And that's sort of the fun of this, like putting yourself back in the mindset. Like I know that I would have seen it uh, within the weeks surrounding this episode of Sunday Night Heat, so that's kind of fun. And coming soon to VHS, just two days after this episode of Sunday Night Heat. Ew, this is going to put you in a spot. The first thing is a the first time The Black Cauldron, the Disney film from the 80s, was re-released on VHS uh, and released from the vault for the very first time. That's probably around the time I saw it for the very first time. Also, finally making its debut on VHS because I know I saw this movie in theaters on Christmas Day in 1997. I mean, just to put that into perspective, folks... Um, in the like first week in April, I saw Sonic the Hedgehog two, and it's on Paramount Plus here. Uh, you know, around Memorial Day weekend time frame in 2022. I mean, obviously it's a completely different world, but I'm just saying the delay, the wait. Uh, but it's Jackie Brown. If I didn't mention it, if I got off on that little tangent, Quentin Tarantino's second film. Also this week on VHS. Much maligned sequel, Blues Brothers 2000. I gotta be honest, I've never even seen the first one. It's one of those situations where, like, one of my best friends 
it was his, the original Blues Brothers was his favorite movie. And it was one of those awkward scenarios where a person's like, oh, man, you've got to watch this. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. But you kind of know that deep down in your heart that that's not your type of flick. But you don't want to be mean about it. So I, to this day, have not seen Blues Brothers all the way through. I might have seen five minutes here, ten minutes there, but I've never seen it all the way through. And then... The capper, the big hot release for this week from a pop culture standpoint, The Wedding Singer. He's a good wedding singer. All right. Now, we've we've sort of put our flags down in the summer of 1998. We're in the right headspace. And good Lord, let's get ready for the actual episode one of Sunday Night Heat. Now, Sunday Night Heat proper begins with the Attitude Era intro that we all know and love. The, like, uh, sounds of, a, like, a countdown center or, like, an, uh, you know, sort of like a, an audio truck. Like, uh, a big center of, kind of like sounds like a countdown mixed with, like, a, a DJ making scratching noises. And folks talking in the background, like, we are ready for launch. We are T-minus there. not actually saying stuff like that. And then it's, you know, boom. And it flashes the logo and says Attitude. Now... Why go into such detail to describe it? I got to tell you guys, every time it flashes the word attitude across the screen, it really puts me back in that mindset of a 14 and 15 year old kid who's like, yeah, I got attitude too. And that is Johnny C in a nutshell, folks. You know, as I'm watching this show in real time, we open to a really sweet Sunday night heat introduction that has a fantastic green screen shot of Road Dog Billy Gunn in China walking towards the camera. I believe it's those three, and it stands out like a sore thumb because it's a it's a such a green screen shot. Wanted to bring that to everybody's attention. We open to a very hot crowd and some pyrotechnics. Now, this is how hot this crowd is, and I want to specifically point this out because it is an audio journey. Immediately, Vince comes out on the stage because, you know, we're going to move a very quick pace on this show. And the chorus of cheers from the live show starting transitions beautifully into a loud, thunderous boo for the villainous Mr. McMahon. It's a hell of a lot of fun. He doesn't talk long, but he introduces the host and star of Sunday Night Heat, Shane McMahon. Now, this is Shane McMahon's character introduction. Us smart folks, meaning that we're smart when it comes to wrestling, I make no qualms about my own individual intelligence level, but we've seen Shane McMahon as a lowly referee. I remember him best from running down the aisle with Miss Elizabeth and flailing his hands like, Come on, Liz, you got to get back to the arena. You can't come out here. Ric Flair's fighting the Macho Man Randy Savage for the World Heavyweight Gold here at the Hoosier Dome, baby. Yeah! You know, trying to get Miss Elizabeth to head back to the locker room during WrestleMania 8's double main event. But Shane McMahon is introduced to the crowd with Jacqueline's theme song. Kind of like a sultry, like... I can see Vince McMahon in the audio studio being like, No, we need to we need to make it sound like it's on the streets. You know, make it sound more like it does in the hood, Jim Johnston. Um, which sounds awful. <laughs> of a, per- a person really saying that sounds awful. But I gotta believe that that's how Vince McMahon talks. He doesn't understand reality, so he speaks in vague uh, corporate type terms when he's talking to his underlings. He does come out, that being Shane McMahon, pronouns pal, with a couple of ladies. Now, here's part of 1998 that made me feel better about 2022. As Shane McMahon and his ladies are walking down the aisle, The crowd is very handsy, and it's quite awkward. I mentioned Miss Elizabeth earlier only as a gag, but if you really, you know, harness and think about the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth coming down the aisle, especially in those early 80s shows where the TV production wasn't as slick, absolutely flanked by real police officers. There's a reason for that, folks. These women shouldn't be allowed to be touched by the hooligans in the Arrowhead Pond. The crowd maintains its fever pitch during some awkward interaction at the announce booth. Jim Ross, in character, I think, is doing some nice shtick about how, well, we I, I thought you and I were going to call this king. And one of the ladies comes over to the announce table and clearly sits down in the chair that is designated for Shane McMahon. 
Shane starts talking to JR, and JR's like, I can't hear you until you put these things on, and hands him the headset, almost as if he's kind of angry at the young McMahon. Now, is this in character, or is this real? Folks, probably a hybrid of both. I suppose Jim Ross doesn't realize, or maybe he does realize, Jim Ross probably not as much of a mark as I'm making him seem like in this uh, chapter of his story, but it seems like his character is very agitated that he's not calling Sunday Night Heat with the King, because after all, it's the hot period of the World Wrestling Federation, and JR probably feels like he's continuously having to prove himself, and of course, Vince puts his own son in the spotlight. No time to ponder this, though, because eventually the headsets are on, the ladies and Shane are seated, and folks, this is a Shane McMahon audio journey. And we're going to sort of benchmark the big moments on this show with the available Shane McMahon audio quotes that he gives us. So, you think you know me. The Edge theme song starts, and this is real early Edge. Here he comes! He's in the house! Edge! There he is! Come through the crowd, JR! Feel the vibe! The Enigma Edge! He comes through the crowd and hits without warning! I guess those would all be accurate assessments of the Edge character? Thank you, Shane. Tennessee Lee is here to introduce Jeff Jarrett. I think to myself, what is it about my life that makes me unable to escape this man? Why is Jeff Jarrett so heavily featured on every piece of professional wrestling that I am charged with speaking about into a microphone? Uh, This is where we get it, though, folks. Uh, The match is getting prepped in the ring, but more importantly, on commentary, Shane McMahon says, Kingfish, what's going on tonight? We cut back to the announce table with the camera, and Shane McMahon gets his title key. And it says, in nice, beautiful Sunday Night Heat, all caps and a few lowercase characters, Shane McMahon and friends. He introduces, this is Allie. This is Kyla. And JR says to Allie, are you 21? Jim Ross is clearly thrown by the presence of the ladies. Jeff Jarrett, though, attacks during his own pyrotechnics as they're rising, and you can still kind of hear the sparklers firing as they're rising, as they're raising, excuse me, the Jeff Jarrett uh, pyro rig. It's kind of a cool thing. Eventually, Jeff Jarrett pulls Edge's long uh, coat, his duster, whatever you want to call it, over his head. And we get this dynamite drop-in from the Shanester. Good strategy. You see it all the time in hockey. That's true, I guess. Eventually, Edge hits the spear as a transition move. And we get, boom, go downtown. Nice tackle. Edge then slams the head of Jeff Jarrett continuously into the ring. We get, bang, bang, bang. Edge is going crazy. He certainly is, Shane O'Mac. There's a sign in the audience that says, page me, 909-930-7586. Now, I'm not giving out someone's pager number live here in the Aqua Cave. Someone decided to put it on a sign and display it in the Arrowhead Pond. And by God, all of the signs are now the property of World Wrestling Entertainment Incorporated and its subsidiaries, which have been licensed to NBC Universal and displayed on the Peacock streaming service. So really, folks, NBC Universal is giving out this person's pager number, not I. The girls, being Allie and Kyla, can kind of be held, be held, be heard conversationally on the audio feed. And while it doesn't necessarily add anything, it really does add a little bit to the chaos of Sunday Night Heat, which I did mention really comes across as having a frantic pace. And it truly does. And I kind of like that the audio commentary is reflecting this. Eventually, Jeff Jarrett hits an early version of of his stroke move, and once again, folks, we're heading to the area of town that is south, because we get, we're going, wrestling leg sweep, oh, we're going downtown. After promoting that Allie, uh, one of Shane McMahon's friends, is a lingerie playboy bunny, he hands the magazine to the king and says, take a look, kickfish. The match is so lame that if we cut away from it, to watch a makeup uh, professional or technician apply some touch-up to Shane McMahon. 
so he looks good on camera. JR delivers a dynamite uh, aside, if you will. You need some there too, Kingfish. <laughs> Edge sets up a suplex, a very normal suplex. He he puts Jarrett's arm over his head and grabs his tights and kind of crouches down. Clearly a suplex. We get this fantastic ad lib. Reverse suplex, baby. Boom. And then Edge actually holds onto the suplex and does two of the three amigos and ends with a faceplant DDT. And if you're keeping score of the wrestling match, it's decently entertaining. It's kind of a house show opener. And I mean that as a compliment. Tennessee Lee, though, and Jeff Jarrett are apparently having some storyline problems, according to Jim Ross. Jeff Jarrett slaps his leg. No, not indicating that he's in the middle of a super kick party. And as a side note, those young bucks sure are entertaining. But I watched them wrestle the Hardy Boys live in a movie theater when I experienced AEW Double or Nothing. And this is, I guess, a shot fired, if you will. But man, the leg slapping, I I really honestly have no opinion about it. But it has got to go because it stands out so much in AEW. I'm sorry. It really gives it that indie feel. And that might be some of the charm. But for me... I don't know. Anywho, Jarrett does slap his leg, indicating he wants Tennessee Lee to trip Edge when he whips him into the ropes. Unfortunately, it's a reversed Irish whip, and Tennessee Lee trips Jarrett, and Edge gets the 1-2-3 off of a trip! Poor Jeff Jarrett laying down for the 1-2-3 after being tripped. Is this the Survivor Series or something? You know, because Survivor Series pinning power... Like... I feel like everyone starts a Survivor Series match with their health meter halfway damaged because you can get pinned by moves, transition moves in a Survivor Series match. To signify Edge's victory, we get, oh yeah, the Enigma! And folks, talking again about how 1998 is a very evil place compared to 2022. Maybe. I don't really know that. But we get a sign in the crowd. Triple HIV. You stay classy, Anaheim. Mario Lopez and Amy Hunter Cornelius are here, and they're on Pacific Blue. Pacific Blue is coming up next. I will not be reviewing Pacific Blue. Just putting that out there. We head to a commercial. We come back, and DX is here. It's Triple H, X-Pac, and China. As they're walking down the aisle, China's in her athletic dress phase, or I don't know if it's necessarily a dress uh, but it kind of looks like one. kind of almost looks like a singlet, too. Why do I mention this? Her yellow variant of this from SummerSlam 98, which is just a few weeks away, really stands out in my memory, probably because it's extremely bright yellow. But China absolutely just rules. That's my interjection, and I am sticking to it. DX is in the house, baby! Yeah! Says the... Prince of Production. Uh, that's a really shitty Johnny C ad lib. But the 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 fe- the, fa- the fans, the Federation, the Degeneration X stable is here to talk about tomorrow night's Monday Night Raw. Now this is cool because Sunday Night Heat was uniquely positioned to promote what would be happening tomorrow night and even on the same network. Uh, tomorrow, Xbox and Triple H will be doing battle in a number one contenders match for the Intercontinental Championship. And Jerry the King Lawler is in the ring to conduct this interview. 1998 does its best to make me feel better about my own existence in life. By this side, Bischoff has AIDS. What is it about Anaheim, California, the late 90s, and the AIDS virus causing HIV? I do not understand it whatsoever. Why were we so culturally obsessed with this bug? And I don't call it bug to make a joke. And I'm hearing my own words thinking, Johnny, you better reel it in. But I do want to make, like, what, where, why, as a society, were we so okay with just being like, hey, this guy's got AIDS, and that's funny. That's not a funny fucking thing. Haven't you seen Philadelphia? Apparently not. There might be, a, like, a, a different uh, cut. There's a director's cut. The Anaheim cut of Philadelphia, where I guess it's, you know, maybe the studio audience laughs every time Tom Hanks reflects upon his battle with AIDS. You know, if he's like, 
Denzel, I got fired from my job because I have AIDS. <laughs> and then there's that scene where he's, you know, uh, performing the opera for Denzel and, you know, he's done and the audience is just like, oh, is that funny? No, but that's kind of what I feel like I'm living in. I don't understand why they're so okay with this. Um, There are also a lot of signs in the arena about letting Scott Hall and Kevin Nash be free. Like, free Hall, free Nash. Nash wants out, NWO, if you will. There's a sign that says that. And it makes me wonder if this was a time in history where perhaps the contractual status of Hall and Nash was in doubt. But I don't do the research because that's not what this show is about. X-Pac grabs a stick and indicates, We're going to rip it up on Raw and shake hands. They tell Vince to suck it, and they continue talking a lot of shit about Vince. I don't remember this version of DX coming into conflict with Vince, but I guess that's one of the reasons why I do this show. To remember, Triple H now has the microphone and claims that Degeneration X, each and every week, are the most titillating section of WWF programming. Who's got the goods? Because we've got the time, says Triple H. Here we go, says Shane O'Mac, and sure enough... Triple H finds two ladies in the audience and basically, like a drunk fraternity boy, begs them to flash as if he's never seen nipples before. These ladies eventually do flash. I don't know if they're plants or audience members, but there is a fantastic shot of China in the ring looking unamused. And holy shit, yikes, we cut to another lady who was most likely not a scripted flasher flashing an eye am very much unamused. Shane McMahon seems excited because he says, Yeah! Triple H! Full frontal nudity! There's a fantastic sign behind the commentators that is just a picture of boobs that says equals ratings. Shane McMahon does a very awkward crotch chop with DX in a sign of solidarity? Question mark? And then says, Boom! Bang! In there, Triple H! Jim Ross lets us know that Kane and Mankind will be battling The Rock and Owen Hart in a number one contenders tag team match, and promises that Stone Cold will be here. We cut to see Stone Cold in the back, drinking some beer, and Shane says, Well, that's my dad's buddy, having a few stabilizers, yeah! I've never heard alcohol called a stabilizer, but I'm going to allow it, because after all, folks, this is 1998. And hey, speaking of 1998... Do you guys remember that show called The Real World? Well, did you know that there was a short-lived spin-off called Draz's World? It's the story of one man, his wild pets, a couple of tattoos, and puke. So, there's a little cut-together home video type video package. How many times can I say video in five seconds? Uh, called Draws's World. It's basically a parody of the real world. It's Draws having like a talking head interview, like it's a documentary, and he tells a story about a time that he threw up on Mark Henry in Ohio Valley Wrestling, I think it was. And it's ridiculous because it's... Oh, God, I can't even, I don't know if I can talk about it without... Oh, I'm feeling queasy. It's gross. I'm not talking about it. Mark Henry and Tom Pritchard actually appear on camera in this documentary, and that is that. However, that is that is how I closed out the chapter of the Draws Real World segment. Shane McMahon went into business for himself, and he closed it out with, Man, that Draws is out of control. You gotta give it up for the Draws. When did we fucking start calling him the Draws? I digress, as it's time for our next matchup. It's Draws and the Headbangers taking on Shofunaki, Men's Tail, and Dick To Go. Folks, it's Kaintai, and I don't know why. That, okay, so Kaintai, and I don't know why, goes back a very, very, very long time in my personal wrestling growing up life. And what I mean by that is, there's some match, some segment, some whatever on some show, okay? Now, I know that's very vague, but forgive me. And here's my point. There's some segment where Kai and Tai interferes, okay? I have no idea what the setup is. I have no idea what they're doing. I don't remember. 
And it must not have made much sense to the commentators as well, because when Kaintai interferes in whatever they interfere in, Jim Ross, on commentary, says, It's Kaintai! And I don't know why! And, you know, that kind of rhymes. I started saying it all the time in my personal life to my friends. And holy shit, did they get annoyed with it. And I probably got kicked in the dick a couple of times because of it. But that's part of this journey. Reflecting upon 1998 and all the surrounding years that were a part of our journey as a society. Um, we do head back to the uh, to Raw, okay? Because there's an important clip that has to be shown in order to set up the storyline revolving around this uh, this match in quotation marks. And it's last week on Raw, Val Venus was in the shower with. Mrs. Yamaguchi-san! Ha-ha! Last week was also when uh, Yamaguchi-san himself dropped the world-famous dynamite slogan that he would forever be known by. Next week, I choppy-choppy yo pee-pee. <laughs> I feel so dirty even saying it out loud. Not because it's about cutting off a penis but because of the implications of speaking in that manner when performing a Yamaguchi-san impression. But folks, what other choice do I have? It's 1998. <laughs> to reiterate the hilariousness that is this catchphrase, as we finish this video package reviewing uh, the incident from Raw, Shane McMahon goes, Ha-ha! Choppy choppy yonda pee-pee! <laughs> uh, I, can't, I can't make it up. That's why we do this stuff. So Val and Mrs. Yamaguchi-san come out to the apron to watch this Dynamite Trios matchup. Uh, hey, what are the odds that Kaintai become the first AEW Trios champions? I say it's a missed opportunity if you don't head that direction, Tony. Hit me up on Twitter at the Johnny C, and we can talk all about it. But Mrs. Yamaguchi-san and Val are really just kind of digging into each other up on stage with the rubbing, touching, and feeling, and something. I think that's a song. We move on. Yamaguchi-san is not pleased, and holy fuck, they're now grinding on one another on the stage. 1998, you are amazing. Uh, you'll notice I haven't talked about the match yet, because it doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't. We cut back to Val and Yamag Mrs. Yamaguchi-san rubbing on another once again, and JR says, oh, she must be a carnivore of some sort, and Shane McMahon does the Vince <laughs> laugh. It's crazy. Shane calls draws the draws again as we head to commercial. We head back from commercial, and Shane welcomes us back by saying, It's Shane McMahon, and Shane McMahon, and broadcast icon, Jim Ross. And Jim Ross says, Well, we were out here with the king, but a nice man from Human Resources came down and told him to call it an early night. Dick to go misses a dropkick in the corner and lands on his skull. Shane McMahon says, Oh yeah, how's your neck feel? We're four weeks till SummerSlam, and we're already sold out. And tonight, the highway to hell makes its presence felt in Anaheim because the uh, main event for Sunday Night Heat will have tremendous SummerSlam implications. It appears that at this point in time, The Undertaker and Stone Cold Steve Austin are still WWF Tag Team Champions, as I guess they would have won it last week if fully loaded, now that my memory's coming back to me. And the main event tonight will determine the tag team challengers for tomorrow's Raw, or excuse me, tomorrow's tag team championship bout on Raw. I was going to say tomorrow's Raw tag team championship bout, uh, showing that the modern era has infected my brain. Somebody get it out, please. So, this is the reason that they claim why Stone Cold Steve Austin is here tonight to watch, you know, the tag team finale matchup. I would imagine it's probably because this was originally a house show and he was scheduled to be here anyway. But again, I digress. And just putting this out there, where Austin and Austin and Taker may not have been like the first tag team champions that can't get along, but they're really the template, right? Like the Russo tag team champs that don't get along gag. Like th th there's so many switches and fights back between this uh, time period between Fully Loaded and SummerSlam. I really feel like they are the most memorable variants of the Vince Russo versions. There is a huge sign on uh, on the hard cam side. 
Now, it's one of those sheets uh, that somebody's drawn on or painted on or whatever. And because it's a sheet sign, it's massive in the sense that it takes up three rows. So you've got to get coordination between three rows of Anaheiminians or Los Angelonians to agree to help you hold this sign up. Eventually, they find the proper configuration and the sign is visible. And this sign seems like a really big wasted effort considering how difficult it was to hold up because all it says is WCW don't bite it sucks and hey whatever but come on that's not even funny anywho big draws hits a big clothesline and Shane McMahon says big draws big clothesline go downtown and at this point in the broadcast I can't help but wonder what the fuck is downtown that Shane McMahon is desperately trying to get to is there some sort of club? Does he perhaps have a date with a lady friend or a gentleman caller? I don't know, but there's no time to ponder it because the headbangers and draws each have a member of Kai and Tai in the turnbuckle uh, and they're clearly in control. In order to signify this is happening in the match, Shane McMahon says, uh-oh, a little rope-a-dope. Now, if I'm not mistaken, rope-a-dope was a battle technique employed by legendary boxer Muhammad Ali in order to make his opponents punch themselves out with fatigue. I'm not sure how this applies to this scenario. Luckily, again, no time to ponder, because the faces Irish whip each member of Kai and Tai, and they all kiss face first in the center of the ring and collapse. Shane McMahon says, Boing! Powerbomb by Draws gets the 1-2-3 on one of the Kai and Tai members. Mrs. Yamaguchi-san heads backstage. The New Jersey Triad, which is what they were calling Draws and the Headbangers, exits victorious. And Val Venus comes down to the ringside area. Kai and Tai bails, deciding that they'll get their vengeance tomorrow night, as promised. Val Venus, however, is horny. And hey, he was rubbing on Mrs. Yamaguchi-san. She's a pretty hip lady. I guess I understand where he's coming from. However, he sets his sights on Pacific Blue Star Amy Hunter Cornelius. And in a very, very 1998 maneuver, he decides he's just going to thrust his cock in her general area and uh, make her deal with it. Thank God, Access Hollywood hero himself, Mario Lopez, is here, as previously mentioned. Uh, he tries to get Val to calm down. Val gives him a push. Mario gets back at his face, and that face eats pie as Val pushes Mario away. But Mario says, fuck that, pops a mushroom, hops the rail, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, hits a double-leg takedown on Val Venus. He's a fired-up kid, Shane McMahon says on Mario Lopez. I'd feel remiss if I didn't mention Shane McMahon was born in 1970 and Mario in 1973. But yet, Mario is indeed a fired-up kid. A couple of signs come into view during this push-apart brawl as Mario Lopez is escorted, escorted, escorted from the arena. Give me head! You can't spell Heckenbottom without HBK. Now, that one's actually pretty clever and makes me laugh. I'm not proud of mentioning this next sign, but I want to really break it down to uh, show just how stupid the person holding it really was. We got a sign that says, HBK is gay in real life. Now, first of all, I'm not trying to shine a positive light on this. I think it's redonkulous, okay? However, this person's sign makes no sense. First of all, he's trying to insinuate this is a negative thing. And fuck that. We're not going that direction. But, you know, I can't, I can't you know, change 1998. That's not the important part. Well, I wish I could change it, but that's, you know, irrelevant. HBK can't be gay in real life because HBK doesn't exist in real life. Because real life is real life. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck these 1998 fans. D'Lo Brown is coming down to defend against Kenny Kenny Shamrock next. We come back from a commercial and we get some WWF Home Video Presents Fully Loaded Clips. JR narrates that we were set to have a bikini showdown at this pay-per-view. Then Shane contributes, 
Once the preview was over, the bikini contest was on. Jacqueline, the baby was back, got her groove on, and stayed claim as the babe to beat. But the crowd was on the edge of their seats in anticipation of the sultry Sable Bomb. They do show Sable in the handprint bikini, but there is a censored logo over the Sable Bombs themselves thus making the audience at home wish they had ordered the pay-per-view and frantically contact their local cable operator for the replay. Actually, that's a pretty clever tactic. I don't blame them. Now there's videos. Uh, the video transitions to Monday Night Raw, and we get clips of Sable getting the match victory revoked and taken from her because body paint is not indeed a bikini. During this sad, sad moment... They play a fake-ass version of that song, Sadness by Enigma. You know the one I'm talking about. The one that goes, sad, dis-moi. I really, really like that song, so I'm going to allow it. Sable does get into a fight with Vince McMahon in this clip. She tosses in the bird, and she's all over him in a violent way, not in a passionate way. And I, I'm going to put the serious hat on for just a moment. Sable had all the potential in the world to be a female version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, this is an old trope that I don't want to fall into. You know, making Supergirl or Batwoman does, is not a great way to say, hey, look, we've got female characters too, because you're just, you know, taking Batman and making Batwoman. Create organic characters regardless of gender and stop, you know, you don't have to be a, a clone or a carbon copy of the of your male um opposite, you know, if you will. But she had all the love from the crowd that Stone Cold Steve Austin has. Right or wrong, right reasons, wrong reasons, irrelevant. She had the following, and she had a little bit of fire. But we all know that uh, fire and ego and money are the death of all of us. Well... Maybe not so much fire or ego or money. As a matter of fact, I'd love to have a more inflated ego and some more money. So Sable, oh, I was going to say Sable, if you're listening, hit me up. But I, I feel like regardless of whether or not it's real, I feel like the Brock Lesnar character can take that sword tattoo off his chest and like make it real and just stab the fuck out of me. Because Brock Lesnar's inhuman, right? Maybe that's his inhuman power. And hey, if you like Inhumans, make sure you check out the feed here on the Aqua Cave, because even though the upcoming Disney Plus series Ms. Marvel will not feature the character Ms. Marvel as an Inhuman, I will be covering Ms. Marvel in detail when the episodes arrive on Disney Plus. Check your local listings for availability. There's no time for any more shameless plugs for my shows here in the Aqua Cave, though, because the European champion of the... Europe is coming down the aisle. It's D'Lo Brown with his bulletproof vest. No, I'm just kidding. It's a chest protector. But when I was younger, I sure did think it was a bulletproof vest. And he's got Mark Henry with him. All of a sudden, the docile piano tones of Ken Shamrock's music hits. And I realized that, for some strange reason, I'm nostalgic for Ken Shamrock's theme music. Shane O'Mac says, he's yoked up! I guess he's trying to imply that uh, perhaps Ken Shamrock is in good shape because he eats egg yolks? I don't know what that phrase really means. But D'Lo attacks as the bell rings, and I do reminisce fondly upon the chest protector. I don't think it's a gimmick he should have ever given up, but I know that those things can't possibly last forever. Eventually, Shamrock finds himself on the outside of the ring, and Mark Henry gets involved. Oh yeah, run it 400 pounder! How's that feel on your chest? Asks Shane McMahon. Out come Steve Blackman and the Beast, Dan Severn, in a suit, mind you. And must I say, Mr. Beast, nothing quite suits you like a suit. The match continues. We head towards the finishing sequence... As Ken Shamrock hits a Franken-Shamrock Steiner on D'Lo Brown, and D'Lo decides that his skull should fuck the ring apron, and it's one of the most frightening bumps I've seen this entire episode of Heat. Now, as D'Lo uh, escapes to the outside to catch his wits, 
The star of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, does indeed check on the condition of the European sportsman. And yes, I am claiming that Dan the Beast Severn resembles star of stage and screen, Tom Atkins, the gentleman who does indeed star as our protagonist in the hit, question mark, 1980s film, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And I will admit to this very day, when I see that heroic doctor as I watch Halloween 3, I call him Dr. Dan the Beast. The Beast chases D'Lo into the ring, and the arrogant accountant picks up a DQ victory by using this to his advantage. It was at all indeed a cunning ruse, and this is confirmed as D'Lo points to his brain, indicating his geniusness. The shooters, being Shamrock, Blackman, and Severn, argue in the ring. Shamrock decides to yell, fuck, so our nice Sunday evening audience can be inundated with that here on the USA Network. Shamrock then goes to the outside, violently assaults the ring steps with a steel chair, even though they did nothing to him. Shane O'Mac says, You don't mess with Shamrock! You don't mess with Shamrock! Look out, Severn! Look out, Owen! Even though Owen Hart is nowhere to be found. Except in the video package that now plays, hyping our main event, we cut to Paul Bear, who says some kind words about his tag team, head to commercial. We're back from commercial, and holy shit, sitting on a couch is the star of Pacific Blue, Shayna Mokler, and Bart Gunn. Now, a name key shows up on screen, identifying this as Shayna Moker, not Mokler, and Bart Gunn is keyed as Lefty. Now, you might remember Shayna Mokler, not from Pacific Blue, but from some fucking stupid reality show she had with Blink-182 drummer Travis Barker that I was always forced to watch when I was uh, courting my spouse in college. I can also tell you that Shane Mokler speaks in American Sign Language because in that reality show, they always open with a tremendous clip of Mrs. Mokler in the Pacific Blue television show using ASL to indicate her mother was deaf. And I say it like that not to mock the actual ailment, but her acting choices. She asks Bart if he was okay getting extremely physical with Dr. Death last week on Raw. They show clips from the Brawl for All, and in my mind, guys, it all clicks. Well, holy shit. Last week was when Bart Gunn accidentally beat Dr. Teth in the Brawl for All. Bart tells Shayna, relax. Anything can happen in the WWF and the Brawl for All. He indicates he respects the pediatrician of pain, but he's also got a great left hook. They show clips of the punch that pulverized the pugnacious protector of ill ones? <laughs> I guess that that would be a doctor, a, a wrestler that's a pugnacious protector of ill ones. Ah, I love it. Uh, but the left hook does connect and Dr. Death goes down indeed. Of course, we have to be reminded that it's 1998 because as we leave this couch, Shayna says, it's time for you to show me some of your moves. It's 1998, so it's time to fuck. She lets us know in a sultry way that Pacific Blue is next. Stone Cold Steve Austin is still in the back drinking his stabilizers. Shane O'Mac lets us know that everyone is psyched for Pac Blue, but Austin is here and he's not going anywhere. Here comes Kane and Mankind. JR indicates there's 18,000 people here in the Arrowhead Pond. I don't double check, but I believe him and I'm blown away by this fact, but also very proud of what WWF was able to accomplish in this time period. After all, I'm kind of a homer, even though I was uh, hosting WCW Must Die, uh, the television, the television program, the podcast program that talks about the dying days of WCW right here on the Aqua Cave. Um, you know, I've always been a WWF homer guy, so it, it does kind of give me pride that I didn't earn and I shouldn't have, but what do you want me to do? It's the truth. Yeah, it's Sunday night. We're turning up that heat. Mercy, mercy, says Shane O'Mac to, in a response to Kane's pyrotechnics going off. Rock and Owen are here. Rock's the IC champ. This is a fucking brilliant duo 
The Rock and Owen Hart. It makes me so happy to see these two tremendous sports entertainers working together. And we get a very loud Rocky Sucks chant. Now, it's our last segment, so it's time to hype up the rest of the Sunday Night Heat lineup here on the USA Network. After Pack Blue, Crimes of Passion, Heat Up, and Palm Beach on an all-new Silk Stockings. Then, at 10, Nikita's new love is a deadly threat for Section 1. Find out on an all-new La Femme Nikita. It's USA's Sunday Night Heat, JR. Now, that is brilliant synergy on the part of WWF and USA Network, having this brilliant lead-in program for those shows where you might have seen a bosom, bosom blonde in her negligees, if you will. Because honestly, you're a 14, 15-year-old heterosexual male watching WWF, the only reason you're sticking around for Pack Blue is to see some bikini babes, silk stockings, maybe you check out a lady in her brassiere or something of that nature to get you going, and La Femme Nikita, well that chick was hot, yeah, and I think she's a member of PETA, oh no, her name's PETA, look, all that shtick aside, I'm not trying to like trivialize, like, or make it, or sound like a, um, like a frat boy myself, it's just getting into the headset of like a 15, 14 or 15 year old kid before like the internet was a thing. I mean, yeah, these shows are cheesy and awful, but maybe there's some ladies. I, I'm not saying it's right, okay? But like I said, this is a, an audio journey of Shane McMahon and the years of past of the past. And by God, that's uh, that's 1998, especially for Johnny C. In a nutshell, I also uh, wanted to bring up here that Sunday Night Heat was originally contracted and intended to be a six-week summer miniseries. Kind of like when Beverly Hills 90210 ran that secret summer season uh, when Dylan and Kelly hooked up while Brenda was in Paris. It's a brilliant strategic move to catch the kids while they're out of school and get them hooked on the crack cocaine that is a confectionery of cinematic sports entertainment. That's right. I said that. But... It should be noted that the success of the Sunday Night Heat wrestling program does lead to this becoming a picked-up full series. And I think this show has got to be one this opening episode. There's got to be one of the reasons why. And I'll get to that at the very, very end when I give this show an overall ranking. Mick and Owen start the match. And that's a fun combination. Mick is still selling the King of the Ring shoulder injury when he got thrown off the Hell in a Cell. But it's also 1998, and nobody wants to miss a payday, so he might not still be selling it. He just might still be dealing with the literal pain that he's in every single day. The Rock and Foley are fighting now, and it's weird because they're wrestling with none of the brilliant history that they will come to have, so it feels kind of strange. Shane McMahon starts talking about conspiracy theories. So, holy shit, 1998 and 2022 collide in a crazy way. Then JR indicates that there's no collusion, no collusion at all. No one found any collusion, no evidence of collusion. But he's talking about collusion between Taker and The Undertaker. But still, come on, 1998. (laughs) You're supposed to be better than this. Um... Kane is in control of The Rock now, and there's a huge nugget champ breaking out in the arena, and Owen Hart, because he's an absolutely fucking brilliant sports entertainer, gives himself earmuffs on the apron to show that the chant has no effect. Nugget! Oh yeah, we're having fun! Having a party here! He literally says that. There's a fantastic Vince killed Ted Turner sign? Eh, oh well. Kane's on the top rope and hits a clothesline, and Shane, or excuse me, and JR actually says, The demon in red will go airborne. And I'm thinking, Demon in red, he's jumping on me. Cheek to cheek. Man, how's your chest feel, Rock? Says Shane after the devastating impact. We head to commercial. We're back from a commercial. Owen and Rock are in control of the mankind character as we return. A tag is eventually made to Kane. And JR casually mentions that the main event at SummerSlam, Highway to Hell, is Stone Cold Steve Austin defending the title against Kane. And I kind of remember this. And, you know, we all know that the SummerSlam 99 main event changes every week on Raw. 
did they do the same thing with SummerSlam 98? Was it, did Undertaker get added as a triple threat and then Kane gets removed because Kane and Undertaker like start working together? I don't remember, but I hope that this Shane McMahon audio journey will reveal to me over the weeks to come what the story actually was because it's something I'm willing to relive. Kane hits a big boot and Shane says, oh, nice boom, instead of nice boot. Owen hits an insigiri on Kane and Jane and Jane, Kane and Jane. It's the Kane and Jane show. He's Kane, she's Jane. What do you know? Big show. Boom. I guess that's Kane and Jane starring in a 60s sitcom I just made up. But Owen hits an Owen hits the insigiri on Kane and JR gives a shout out to HBK, which I thought was cute. Uh choke slam position now. As Kane hits Chokeslam on Owen Hart, to which Shane says, Up top! Up top! Boom! It's a breakdown now, and there's chaos as all four of the combatants are fighting on the outside. The referee hits a nine count. Owen slides in like a slimy snake and beats the ten count. The nation wins via count out. And of course, the character of Owen Hart is amused at his own uh educated maneuvers it's hilarious and god i love and miss owen hart michael cole is in the back with steve austin and he's drinking his stabilizers michael cole actually says this out loud steve last week you threw the undertaker a beer and he drank it is this a sign of teamwork oh no it's a sign he was thirsty god damn i gave him a beer (laughs) steve austin's just amazing folks All he really does is hype up the tag team title main event for tomorrow night on Raw, which honestly is a brilliant maneuver. After all, it's all on the USA Network. And he does call The Rock, The Rocky. And that makes me laugh. I can't wait for next week's party. So come on, ladies. We're out of here. Says Shane O'Mac as we end our scene. Now, folks, this was a lot of fun to watch. And even though I think by the end of this podcast, it will have run probably a little bit longer than the actual episode of Sunday Night Heat, well, that's because we also had to hype and introduce the show in the beginning, folks. But I think it's easy, or, or, or you know, it's, it's straightforward to say this is a fun, easy, and very brisk watch. It goes by quickly because you're having fun the entire time. Now, I do want to, you know, come up with a ranking system for these shows. And it's a very vague ranking system because, as you can see, we're not here to talk about the matches star rankings or the plots or anything like that. We're just here to have a good time and relive 1998 on this audio journey with Shane McMahon. Now, Shane McMahon in this episode has revealed a deep, dark secret about himself. The man loves to go downtown. Yeah. So I think it's only fitting that we have a ranking system revolving around the different areas of town. So it's going to be real simple, folks. An episode's either going to be Uptown, Midtown, or Downtown. Now, it sounds simple, like Uptown is good, Midtown's in the middle, and Downtown is bad. But since Shane wants to go Downtown, baby, yeah! Downtown is good, Uptown is bad, and Midtown is still mid. So this gets an easy ranking of Downtown. And oh no, do you hear that? Yeah. It sounds like my producers are giving me the call that it's time to cut the cable and pull the plug on the first episode of Kingfish. And folks, I am so happy to have been able to uh, start us on this journey. Sunday Night Heat is a lost treasure trove of all kinds of shenanigans that I can't wait to get into and see what's going to be happening in the future. You know, from the big things like actual plot development all the way down to little things, like Mario Lopez showing up and getting physical, to Kai and Tai actually making an appearance, to me getting to say the words Men's Teow on a podcast, because shit, Men's Teow is not long for this world, that being the World Wrestling Federation, pal, and uh, all the way to silly stuff like hyping up Pac Blue and La Femme Nikita and getting to hear Shane McMahon read the copy out loud to hype these shows. It's just so much fun, and it's so nostalgic for me. And I hope that this show has presented itself as a fun, nostalgic, winking, tongue-in-cheek view back at the craziness of the World Wrestling Federation in the summer of 1998. And we're going to come back here on the Aqua Cave 
You better crank that AC because we're going to keep cranking up the heat here on Kingfish, a Shane McMahon audio journey. I'll see you here in the Aqua Cave the next time it's time to head downtown, baby. Yeah.